Welcome to another episode of The Real Estate of Things. I'm Nate Tronfio with Lima One Capital. Today, we are going to go through an amazing journey with Miss Christy Moore as she explains how she's transitioned over the last one or two decades of being a single family investor, a realty brokerage owner, and now a multifamily investor. There is a lot of phenomenal stories and takeaways to hear here, as well as all of the adversity that she's had to overcome, which we need to expect in the real estate investing world. So let's dive in now to get to know Christy and her journey to get to the success that she's had. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome, Christy Moore from Babs Development. I am excited to talk about a lot of things real estate investing. One thing that I know most about you is uh, you got a very interesting road to where you're at here. So I want to just kick this off real quick with, uh, it, is it easy to predict the road of growth and scale and progress and success in real estate investing? You have to answer that one first. I mean, absolutely not. I think we all think we have that superpower, but we, we don't. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but none of my plans have ever gone according to plan. Even when we've done a great job, I mean, life... I always say that, you know, the market doesn't care about what's going on in your life and your life doesn't care about what's going on in the market. And that's just what happens. I mean, life happens, things happen, and you can't predict a lot of the stuff that you go through in life that affect your business. Well, amen to that. And I'm excited because I, 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 you bring up superpowers, which I want to talk about because I, I know you have uh, many of them. Um, but uh, <laughs> as you listen to this, Christy is not only a phenomenal operator, but one that just continues to persevere through a windy road in real estate investing. And, and I'm excited for everybody to learn a little bit about that because I've had the pleasure to get to know Christy over probably the last five years um, and, and just excited to share. So, but but you got to tell us thing. Um, you could probably take up the whole episode on the windy road you've taken in, in all the real estate investing experience you have, but just give us, you know, give us any realm of the summary that you want to share because it's certainly an interesting one. Um, well, I mean, you know, I've been in real estate a really long time. I started in the mortgage business. I worked at Quicken Loans in 2003 is, I guess, when my start in the real estate industry. And then I became a real estate agent um, and a broker. And, um, you know, I invested in the market crash, actually, when in 2008, 2009 is when I started flipping houses. Um, and, you know, I always had the, you know, the theory of energy when it comes to money, it's like, you know, it's never created nor destroyed. It just transfers from one form to another. So I, instead of seeing the market meltdown as, you know, money being destroyed, I saw it as just being transferred. So I bought up a lot of really disgusting properties. Um, I literally had no money to my name. I mean, I had nothing and convinced some guy with $10 million to, lend me money. So, um, so we started fixing up houses and, um, was doing really well doing that. Um, but I was working with my ex-husband, he is an ex-husband. Um, and I decided, uh, you know, this is going to destroy our relationship if we continue working together. So that's, I actually got off of the real estate investment train and went into doing retail um, so that, you know, I could just be on my own. And then I built a big real estate team with Keller Williams and um, started dabbling back in investing after I got divorced and realized, like, this is what I want to do. I, I, you know, this is why I got into the business. I want to continue doing this. 
Um, and that's uh, 2015 was when I bought my first commercial property. I actually bought an office building that we operated out of. And then um, it was four years later that I ended up going from owning, you know, single family, flipping houses, rentals, things like that, to uh, buying my first multifamily property, which was a whole other adventure I'm sure we'll get into. And um, that was actually a, a number of things that had me decide to do that. Number one, I got creamed in taxes. Um, I was for good reason, though, right? Well, yeah. I mean, but I, you know, my my accountant was like, "Well, the good news is you did really well. The bad news is you owe you know half your money to the government." So, um, and it was you know the whole um, Obamacare tax. I mean, it was just like everything. Once you get to a certain level, you just yep. and it's earned income. It you just tax like crazy. So he was the one who was like, "Really, you need to start holding on to some of these properties and doing ten thirty one exchanges, and you know, do a different." strategy or else you're just going to keep working yourself to death and and not create any wealth. And so um, I did my first 1031 exchange with my first rental property that I actually held on to during my divorce. And um, I bought another rental property with that. And then I think I made 110,000 on that, bought another one, made 140. So it was up like 240 um, after that. And then I took that money um, and exchanged it uh, with another property into the apartment complex. And the reason I did that was because I had a past client call me. I helped him sell two of his condos here in Fairfax, Virginia. They were $300,000 a piece. And he was asking me at the time, you know, the $300,000 condo here, you're only getting like $2,000 a month in rent. It's not a great return. And at the time he was asking me, well, you know, where can I invest to take this money and actually make some money on it? You know, I have all this equity in these condos. I have 300,000 and, and I'm like, not making any money. And I was, and I said to him, just like off the cuff, cause I just started doing 1031 exchanges. I said, you know, you really should exchange this into a different area and a different property type where you can actually make some money. And he called me a few years later, this was in 2019, and he said, hey, I just wanted to thank you. And I said, why? And he said, well, because because of you, I'm now worth $30 million. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And he said, I took the money from the condos and I did what you said to do. I invested them into multifamily in lower priced areas. I turned them around. I made a profit. And then I 1031 it into another property, into another property. And and now I own $30 million worth of real estate. And I was like, I, what? <laughs> I just gave you advice that I'm not even taking. I should start taking my own advice. And he was the one who had me start looking in that Bennettsville, Dillon area, which is where I bought my first property, unbeknownst to me or what I was getting into at the time. Um, because he, he wanted me to look at his properties down there. So I went and just drove around, looked at a couple of his properties. And then I ran into the property that I ended up buying, which was at auction. And it was a total war zone. I mean, it was, you know, but that excited me because I love the grosser, the better, the dirtier, the, the, I mean, the more of a disaster, I just, I get excited about that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I bid on the property at auction and I got it. And that's, that was my first project. It was an 84 unit apartment complex. I bought on my own and no partners. Um, with 1031 exchange money from, you know, other properties I had bought here in, in Fairfax. Awesome. Well, it's a, it's a long journey and there's a lot to unpack there, which we are about to do. I want to 
I want to zoom out and ask you a, a big picture question. I know you to be someone who's an extremely hard worker and, and uh, perseveres through a lot as well. So the big question is, what's your big why? Why, why do you do what you do, put up with what you put up with, and went through all the ups and downs uh, to continue on? What Help get from the, the highest level possible, what's Christie's why? Well, it's changed a few times, but I think in general, you know, I, I grew up poor. My parents were on welfare and food stamps when I was little. We cockroaches in our cereal, you know, kind of stuff like um, so I've always kind of been, you know, rooting for the underdog, wanting mm. to take care of people. Um, and you know, I've, I've been able to make it on my own I, through my own efforts. I mean, I look, I, I've been evicted from my apartment. I mean, I've, I've searched for, you know, coins in my couch to pay for gas. I've had a flat tire. I couldn't fix that. I drove around on for weeks. I mean, I know what it's like to be broke. And I have always kind of had a soft spot for people, um, you know, that are just trying to make it and, and, and they grew up in whatever environment and they're, you know, and they, they, um, they deserve quality housing, quality living situations, just as much as anybody else, just because you're poor doesn't mean that you have to live in squalor. It doesn't mean that you have to be treated with disrespect and, um, you know, I, I see, I, especially when I bought Dylan, I mean, that might, it really was uh, an emotional decision because, you know, the landlord was your typical slumlord. I mean, he fixed nothing. And, and these people were living in total squalor. They couldn't afford to live anywhere else. The rent was super cheap. And I, I figured that I could raise the rent to be affordable. Maybe not, you know, I obviously needed the money to, to be able to fix it up and make it nice, but um, but I could, I felt like I could still keep the rent relatively affordable, um, and make, get a nice place to live. And then look, if you're, a, if you're filthy, I mean, and that's your deal, like fine, but it's not gonna be my filth that you're going to be living in. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to give you a nice place to live. And our, you know, my mom and I worked together on that property and, you know, our whole thing was like, you know, safe and clean, not pretty and perfect. Right. So, um, it, it was, and, and the other thing was a lot of the people, that need affordable housing are women and they are single women and they have children. And, um, you know, and I, I actually get goosebumps even talking about this because, uh, you know, we dealt with a lot of women that were, um, fleeing really dangerous situations. They were, um, you know, they either were homeless or they were trying to get away from, an abusive ex. A lot of them had, um, you know, boyfriends, husbands, uh, exes, whatever that were in jail for doing horrible things. So you can only imagine what they were doing to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I have a real soft spot for, for, for people that, like I said, are, are, are wanting to have a better life and, and maybe they can't afford the things that other people can, but, um, you know, we really wanted to give them a, a great place to live. I mean, even with uh, flipping houses, I mean, it's, it was it was always about making things better, making this really ugly house beautiful. I mean, I still to this day just love the transformation. I love seeing this really disgusting, gross house turning into something gorgeous um, that, again, we can give to people in our area affordable is, you know, 500, 700,000, but like, you know, they're also tearing these places down and building McMansions for $2 million. Not everybody can afford a $2 million house. So, 
Um, I really like the challenge of making things beautiful and nice on a budget. Um, and I also, you know, love the experience of giving this thing that I created to somebody else to now have their lives in it, their, um, experience in it. And, you know, I mean, sometimes my desire to help underserved communities has, um, has, you know, challenged me in ways I never thought possible, but I never, I never deviated from that mission of being able to provide quality housing at an affordable price, which by the way, is getting much, much, it's getting very difficult to do. And, um, and also, um, you know, just serving, like I said, the people that, that need it the most. And then, you know, there just also happens to be an opportunity there, right? I mean, if you look at HUD statistics for every hundred affordable housing units they need, there's only like one available or three or whatever. It's some really low number for what is needed versus what is available. So there's, you know, obviously a huge opportunity there as well. It's just, it's very, very challenging to be able to provide that. But I still, I think until the day I die, like I will just, that will constantly be what I want to provide to the world. It's that's my way of making the world better is making it more beautiful, making it prettier, making it safer, you know, cleaner, whatever. I mean, I just, um, it's just in my blood. I can't get it out. Awesome. And I, you know, as you listen to this, you can hear the passion and the emotion that comes out and um, you got a lot of why, you know, my summary from what I, what I can interpret is, it's helping the underdog. It's doing good by the community and the world, for that matter, um, and 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 making things better, providing, giving back, um, and then you yourself doing all of that to yourself. And uh, I think as you listen to this, it's just really important that real estate investing isn't easy. We many of us know that, um, but if you don't have a bigger picture why to drive you through the adversity and get through these issues, it, it's really hard to be consistent, successful, and to get through it candidly. Um, because you really, when, when times get tough, you have to keep the biggest perspective and your inner reasoning for driving through it in mind. And so l- let's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot I want to come back to in realms of w- what you've done in some single family stuff and how you've gotten into multifamily. But I want to really exemplify this because um, the, the, your first multifamily property, I think, is just the perfect example. And there's some pretty cool, interesting, crazy, honestly, stories that I know you can share here. So, you know, highlight just briefly, you know, the, what happened there and then some of the craziness that you had to deal with, which again is just, okay. to me, it's it's pretty astounding to hear what you went through. How much time do we have? No, <laughs> yeah, you do, go where you want no, with no. it. It's I'll a, do it's the highlights, which by the way, this is only going to be the tip of the iceberg. Whatever I tell you, there's way more underneath all of this. So, <laughs> um, okay. So I bought this property at auction. Like I said, I had seen it. I mean, I knew it was a, it was a bloodbath. I knew that the physical aspect of the property was was a major, major problem. But again, nothing that I didn't think I could fix. I had, at this point, I had flipped lots of houses. I'm, I feel like I'm really good at managing crews and uh, keeping things on budget and getting things done on time. And, you know, the, again, I knew that this was a disaster, but I could, I could handle it. Well, when I was uh, running the numbers for the property, you know, for the auction and figuring out what my max price was and all the, those things, I, I, there, I kept running the numbers and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This is too good of a deal. There's something I can't see. There's something I don't know that's going on. I checked the crime reports. There was no crime in that specific area, which I'll tell you why in a minute. 
Um, there, you know, I, I, I Google, I went four pages back on Google. I'm like Googling it. I'm like, what is going on here that I can't see? I mean, there's something happening. And I just justified in my brain. I went through all the worst case scenarios and all of the things that could go wrong with that I knew about. Again, what we were talking about in the beginning is like all the things that you don't think about is what happens. Right. So, um, you know, all the things that I'm like, you know, even if my budget go, go doubles, it still makes sense. Even if I can't get the rents, I mean, everything, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong, but whatever. I mean, okay, I'm moving forward. So I bought the house or the, the um, property at auction. Um, the day I closed on it was probably the worst day of my life. It was Friday the 13th. Oh, geez. And my mom was rushed to the hospital by ambulance. Um, they couldn't find a pulse. So she, you know, we were on vacation, actually. I had closed remotely the night that I closed, the night after I closed, there was a murder, I'm sorry, not a murder, a shooting on the property. Um, and then um, there was something else. Oh, and then I got hit with the lawsuit. So the, those three things all happened that same day. Okay. So I get noticed the lawsuit. Mom gets- Congratulations. You bought your first multifamily property. Uh, yeah. I should be like celebrating and I'm like in the depths of despair. Right. So- um, so that was that was the first thing that happened, or that was the the day that I that I closed. So I go down right after closing, after we get back from vacation that Monday, to go you know start the project. So all those things happened in one day, and I went down to the property on the Monday, and my mom was still in the hospital at that time, and I was not like functionally, I wasn't. I kind of felt like I was in like an alternate universe because I was still dealing with that emotionally. And, um, I, you know, go down to the property, the property manager tells me that, the, you know, about the shooting and what happened. And it was, I mean, it was on the property and I was like, well, I don't understand. I mean, you know, what's going on here? Like, why is that? I, like, this is, didn't seem like it was a one-off thing. The property manager seemed like this was kind of like a normal thing. Although that was a different story than what they told me when I went to visit the property multiple times to start doing the budgets and that kind of stuff. And, um, and that's when I found out about all of the murders on the property. And, um, a year prior, somebody had been shot and killed and it was, uh, just so happened that it was the girlfriend of the son of the, um, gang leader that ran the property before this property manager and his mom lived on the property. So, his mom, the gang leader's mom lived on the property. So that means he came to the property often, but also he ran all of his gang activity off. The whole gang operation was that whole community, which was why there was no crime hmm. reported because they were paying the cops. I actually had the cops on camera selling assault rifles out of the back of the cop car. And no one would file police reports because they were all on the take. I had it on camera. I mean, I had to call the ATF. Like, what is going on, right? The ATF? WTF. So, um, you know, and that was just one of the things. So, and again, like, I'm just like finding this out after I buy the property. So this, this whole entire gang, again, that mostly occupied the property that, um, because the guy that ran it before was the gang leader. And he was also the property manager, um, uh, before this other lady was hired, who was the current one. 
And um, there was a guy working on the property that was a you know, registered sex offender. Um, they, the gang leader would um, deal drugs and guns and all kinds of things on the property all the time. Like their whole entire like, ring and operation, like I said, was there. And so when we started to evict people, um, you know, we got a lot of pushback. People didn't like that we were messing around with their whole operation. And then at the same time, COVID hit. So we are now dealing with trying to evict people off of the property uh, during an eviction moratorium. We, um, you know, there's a loophole. I mean, I don't know if you call it a loophole, given what we were dealing with, but there was, uh, you know, it was for non-payment of rent. We couldn't evict people for non-payment of rent, but these guys were actually paying their rent. They were paying cash. Um, for obvious reasons. So we wanted to evict them for criminal activity because we had them on camera. We had them on camera breaking into our units. We had them on camera dealing drugs and shooting guns. And they shot off our, a shot out our office windows at night. Um, they were on camera uh, threatening my mo- There were 30 gang members that came onto our property in one of our apartment buildings and threatened or one of our apartment units and threatened my mom that every single one of them had an assault rifle, either an AK 47 or AR 15 or some type of 45 or nine millimeter. Like they all, they were all armed and they came onto our property and threatened my life. They said that they would leave me on my mom's doorstep. They were going to come and hunt me down and leave me on my mom's doorstep. And this happened on our property. And we, um, you know, went to court because it's like our lives are being threatened and you're not allowing us to evict these people. We're not evicting them for non-payment rent. This is not a COVID situation. This is a, a safety situation. And we actually had to take the cops to court. We had to um, get the feds involved. Um, and, you know, like I said, at the same time, our lives were being threatened. And this is on top of like my property manager stealing from me and prostituting on the property for Coke and um, you know, all the other things that were going on around there. Like, we're just trying to fix this place up. We're just trying to make it nice, right? We're trying to provide good quality housing for people. And we're just being run over by, and these are legit gang. Actually, them threatening us was good for us because we had it on camera. Sure. And that allowed us to go into higher courts and evict all of the people that were on that video. In the meantime, you know, I'm walking around with 14 different weapons and, you know, just trying to, to deal with that whole trauma of that situation. And then after that, we had a building burned down. We had a 10,000 square foot building burned down. We had 12 buildings. We had a, a uh, one of the buildings burnt to the ground and we were underinsured. So we lost $700,000 overnight. And that was a month after the whole, you know, gang yep. situation. Um, you, you know, did a big extensive, like, I mean, you had to invest a ton of CapEx in the property too. So what was that total budget, even including the, the fire, fire damage, which, I don't um, know replaced, but. so, well, yeah, when actually, when that building burned down, we had just finished our last unit that we renovated. We had just been, we had gotten all the people off the property that we tried to get off the property. We, we had just finished up our renovation of all the units. Literally, we were like, you know high five in like, yeah, woo, we're so good. We got it done, you know? And then, and then both my mom and I were like, God, give us a sign. Like, should we stay here? Should we continue? Or like, is it time to sell? And then that weekend, the building burned down. 
It's like God has spoken, right? So full full cycle because you ended up selling the asset, and yes. you know, but if you don't mind, so how much like because I want to talk a little bit too about some of your single family in a minute here. What was total budget that you invested in the property? Not to mention all the other stuff that you had to deal with, which is unbelievable. And and, and everybody now knows some of the adversity, some of the adversity that um, you went through, because there's more to the story as I oh know. Oh, yeah, there's way more. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was a daily thing. Like we, you know, we just got to the point where we just started laughing about it because you couldn't make the stuff up. So um, so we we invested about 600, uh, about 647,000 into the place. And how many um, units did you turn total or renovate? I'm sorry. How many units total did you renovate? Um, so we renovated 74 units. Crazy. Wow. Um, and we that was including and replacing all the HVACs, and that was also including the building that burned down. Um, you know, we had to, uh, like I said, we were underinsured because we were insured for actual cash value versus replacement cost, which is a very expensive lesson, by the way. Um, because we bought it so cheap. I mean, we sure. bought it for two million dollars, and so. You know, <laughs> in full cycle, I mean, this acquisition and disposition was was how long? Because all this craziness happened in what period of time? Obviously, COVID was somewhere in the in the parts of it. Right. So we uh, we bought it in um, September of 2019, and then um, I sold it uh, December 2nd of 2021. Um, I bought it for a little over two million, and I sold it for 3.65 without an agent. I sold it to, um, you know, a direct buyer. Yep. Um, and he sold it six months later, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> man. Well, that's, I mean, it's just impressive. I mean, all of that. And, and realistically, I mean, it's hard for anybody to acquire reposition and disposition and an asset to, you know, of that size with that many units that you had to go through renovate turn and, and all of that. And go through the dispo process, along with the story. I'm just going to call it along the way is uh, more than more than impressive. And uh, anybody listening that's you know looking at doing their first multifamily, or everybody has a story about their first you know date or acquisition, single family, multifamily. Uh, I, I please reach out as you have something if you think it even comes close to this one. But um, what would you say then? And in, in, if you look backwards, like what was some of the big changes because as you've articulated i want to get into it a little bit more you know you're very experienced single family uh flipper and operator not to mention you know you you dabble in a little bit of real estate brokerage as well um but but what were sort of the big lessons or lessons you tell the listeners in transitioning from single family to multifamily um assuming that they don't have to deal with any gang um police (laughs) collusion or anything like that well, I think that is important, though. I think um, if I would have done things differently as far as finding out what was really happening with that property, I would have um, talked to people at the local hardware store. Those guys knew everything. Hmm. Um, and then I would have talked to the people at the local convenience stores because that's where a lot of people gather if you're having those types of problems. They're yep. generally gathering around those types of, of, of places. Um so, uh, because also, I mean, I did talk to a lot of the residents, but again, they're all involved. I mean, everybody that I talked to was involved in the whole situation. So, and they see me, this, you know, little girl coming in and they're like, oh yeah, we want her to run this place because we're going to run all over her. Right. I mean, they didn't know what they were dealing with. They had no idea what was going on. 
So, I mean, even the guys at the hardware store were like, oh, look at these girls from the North coming and taking over and cleaning it up. And we're like, yeah, you know, because my mom's a little like me. And so um, it was kind of a, 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 you know, I think at first people thought that they, that we, they would be able to continue and, and kind of just, yep. you know, take advantage of us. And then, you know, my mom's a hardcore. I mean, she's an OG. Like there is nothing that can hold her down. And so I don't, and, and I mean, I, like I said, I carried like 14 weapons. She never carried anything. Like she was, she was like, what? Like, I'm not afraid of these people. Like, I don't care. And so I wonder where you get it from. (laughs) (laughs) I think we, it changed us both. I mean, both of us came out of that experience, very different people, um, very strong, very confident. Like there's nothing that you can throw my way. There's nothing that keeps me up at night anymore because once you've been through the worst of it, you know, you can handle anything. Um, but anyway, so I would, I would definitely be a lot more, um, going out outside, but not too far outside the neighborhood to to really understand what what was going on. Um, how much did your single family experience relate to being able to navigate through that? I mean, you know, I'm interested in your perspective there. I think the only thing that translated, um, because with single family, you're dealing with one property, one tenant, it's an isolated situation, Right. Whereas multifamily, you're dealing with a community and a mindset. And it's a lot harder. You can fix up a single family and transform it. Even if you fix up a multifamily, how are you transforming the community, right? The mindset, the people. Um, the guy that bought that property for me, the reason why he, he sold it six months later is because he's like, look, I can't get anything done in this community. I'm not going to change the government. I'm not going to change the town. Yep. I can change the property, but I can't change the community. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, people were very sad when we left. They were very sad when we sold. Like the women loved us. Yeah. I mean, by the time we left, birds were chirping. It was very quiet. It was a very different place <laughs> than how we started. But I will say the day that we sold it, the gang members came on the property that night. Oh, they assaulted somebody on the property that night. That's so, um, you know, I, and it, that's a whole other thing. So, um, so that's, that, that was a big yep. realization was like, if I can't change this community, then, then my work, my outcome is very limited in what I can do here and what kind of difference I can make. Um, which is tied to your why, right. And, and that's, you know, and that's, that's just, uh, hugely, hugely important. And so I, I want to real quick, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I want to ask just a couple of more vanity questions and go back into the last bigger two topics. So um, just so, to put things in perspective of the other stuff that you do, you run a brokerage. Mm-hmm. How many agents? Uh, it's a small team. So we have seven people. And about how many transactions? About 100 a year, 100 to 150, depending on the year. There, it plug the team name? Oh, it's the Christy Moore team. Of course I mean, it is. Lo- you know. Love it. You know, <laughs> uh, any any vanity metrics on properties you flipped year, total, dollar amount, like any any just vanity metrics that, that you can tell here. Just um, so put it in perspective with, you know, your experience level there. Yeah. I mean, you know, that side, I wouldn't say that um, I'm trying to scale either the brokerage or yep. the flipping business. And the, and the reason is because of, you know, what we talked about earlier. It's uh, high, highly taxed and it's not worth much, right? Yep. Like when you go to sell your brokerage, it's worth what like is in the bank, right? And you go to sell your, um, 
multifamily. I mean, you raise your rents a thousand dollars a month, you've increased your property value by $120,000. You know, like it's a yep. very different, uh, it's a lot less effort. I mean, with the exception of what I had to deal with with that sure. first property, but in general, it's a lot less effort and you're also building on residuals, whereas transactions like yep. in brokerage or uh, flip land, you know, you're, you're constantly starting over. You're, you know, you make a profit and you give half of it to the government and then you, you know, you're starting over every month. So that has never been like my focus. It's just something I thoroughly enjoy. And I have been in real estate broker land for a long time. So I have tons of past clients. Um, so really it's just whatever comes our way. Uh, you know, we don't lead generate or anything sure. like that. Um, so, uh, but I will say, like our average profit per deal in the flipping business is sixty eight thousand. Um, you know, we'll do, uh, you know, like fifteen to twenty a year. Um, and then, you know, my main focus as far as long term, and yep. also if I had to shut everything down, I would not shut down obviously the multifamily because sure. it's been so great for me. And I, um, and like I said, I mean, you, you're raising rents 50 to hundred bucks a unit, you own a hundred units. I mean, you're, you know, you're increasing your property value. It doesn't matter. Like in single family, you're dealing with the market and emotions and homeowners. That's a yep. different world. And, and the market is, is predicated on that. Whereas in multifamily, the market is predicated on like your income and how well you operate, which is awesome. Right. Because if you're a really good operator, and you're great at um, you know taking care of the tenants and getting things done in a in a timely fashion and on a a nice budget, um, then you can drastically inc increase the property value without. I mean, I, you know, I made close to a million dollars on some gang infested property, <laughs> and you know, I don't want to be previously like, oh, gang infested amazing. property, but it's still just it was a numbers game, right? Yep. So I'm really good at numbers. Like that's what you know. So it's like it's to me, it was like. Um, it just makes sense to focus more on that because not only long term, it's going to, I'll be able to retire, but also like, it's nice to, ha you know, getting into multifamily and having money come in every month after being in the brokerage and flipping business where you're constantly like, where's the next deal? What's happening? You know, like worrying about that cash flow aspect of things. Um, it's kind of nice to wake up and know that sure. like money is just being directly deposited into your bank account, you know? So, so, so I want to, I want to ask you know, first in, in, and we talked about this uh, recently, so I want to ask, and, and you can hit this one uh, quickly because I want to move to the last big topic. Um, you know, you have a lot of superpowers, but if you were to say in one word what your superpower is, what would it be? And, and give me a quick why. Well, it would definitely be paranoia. I mean, um, even with Dylan, I mean, I, I did have a strong amount of paranoia around that property, and I still... Uh, unfortunately, I got into that situation, which I feel like obviously happened for a reason. But um, I am constantly looking at all of the things that can go wrong. I mean, I originally went to school for industrial engineering, and that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're trying to figure out all the way that things can go wrong and be efficient and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, that is how my brain is wired, mainly because it, it reduces my anxiety, like knowing, okay, I can deal with all these things that can go wrong. Like, and I can sleep at night because I know that. I can handle any of these things. Um, so, you know, any deal that I get into, whether it's flipping, whether it's um, actually even dealing with clients in the brokerage, um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at like, what are all the things that can go wrong? And sometimes you have to say no if if the downside is is, yep. is, is too great. I think a lot of people 
um, are always looking at the optimism, always looking at the upside and what they can make. And they get all like starry eyed and not think of all of the things that can go wrong. And then that's how they lose money, because if your downside's not protected, then that's your you're ripe for losing money. But if you protect your downside, then it, it, even if the worst happens, you're still going to be OK. And if, if you're better than the worst happening, then then great. You're going to you're going to do really well. And, and you know, even with Dylan, like I did go through all of those worst case scenarios. I mean, I, I, again, I didn't, you know, predictability and burning down and all that stuff. But um, but I, that's why I came out OK, because I you know, numbers wise, you know, despite everything else, I knew that like, I could really screw this up and still be okay. And that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just such an important lesson and it's, it's such a unique superpower when you hear the word paranoia. Um, (laughs) But I think you did just such a phenomenal job articulating why, and that's real estate investing in almost every, well, in every single asset class, I'll go, I'll go as far as saying that. And certainly you're, you're wanting to know about that. I think the last topic I want to hit here is, there's not that many female real estate investor operators out there. And so just can you give some perspective? Because um, I, I would unequivocally say you're one of the best operators, whether female, male or Martian or whatever else that I know. <laughs> I know uh, but but what, what, what's that like being, you know, operating at level as a female in what seems to be a more male dominated world? <sighs> There's so much I have to say about this. I don't even know if we have time. So. I, this is probably going to be different than what people would expect, I'm, I'm about to say. But, um, you know, most of my team is female. And uh, I, you know, having worked with lots of women and having, um, you know, uh, worked with lots of men and women and hired a lot of people and fired a lot of people and, and all of the things. Um, I think that the biggest challenge for women is, is, is uh, you know, the, the biological issue that we all have, which is like, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to have a family. And, um, and I don't care what anybody says, like, yeah, there's IVF, there's all this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you have to be committed to what you're doing hundred percent and you can only be committed to certain things. And, um, I do believe, I mean, look, my mom was, yeah, even though my parents were on welfare, my mom was a stay at home mom until we went to school. And, um, you know, I never had my own children and, um, I not for, you know, lack of trying or anything, but like, um, I knew that if I did that my business was going to be the thing that I was going to have to sacrifice. I mean, anything that you are hundred percent committed to there's sacrifices. And I think we actually have it backwards as a society. I think that, you know, as, as, independent women were taught, you know, go and build your career and then have a family. And I actually think that it's backwards. I think that, you know, we probably shouldn't be expecting to have children later on in life. I mean, after 35, it's a geriatric pregnancy. Like it's a legitimate thing that you put yourself at risk. You put your child at risk by being an older woman and getting pregnant. And, um, you know, you know, I wouldn't even exist if my, my parents had us really young. I wouldn't even exist if my mom waited to have children because she had endometriosis so bad. So, um, you know, I think that you've got to choose and a lot of people, you know, and and again, I have a lot of women on my team. A lot of them are part-time and they're, they're awesome. Um, but they only have a limited amount of time. And if you're starting a business and you're trying to build something, it requires all of your attention 
and all of your time. And most men, they have, you know, the wife at home dealing with the household, dealing with the kids, dealing with those things. They have that support. And as a woman, you, uh, you know, if you're going to choose to have a career where you have to work 10, 12 hours a day, then somebody else is raising your kids. If that's, if you're having Mm -hmm. children. And so, um, you know, I think if we had kids earlier and then started careers later, actually, it would be a better thing for us as women. This is coming from my own experience. Um, but you know, we're kind of like society is kind of like, oh, you have to have it all. And, you know, when we all realize like we can't, like, I mean, a lot of women in my company are like, look, I, I, I can't work all the time. Like I, you know, my kids are my priority and that's fine. Right. Um, and so I, I do think that that's why, and you know, maybe things will change, but I, I mean, that's, I, I think that's why, you know, there's not a lot of women in the space because we have to, we have to choose if we have a family that we want to be there for the kids, that that's, that's the priority. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it is also still, you know, an old man network. I mean, the owners I deal with are old men, the, the, um, the brokers I work with are old men, like, you know, and, and they still view with you know, the worldview of women, which again is not wrong because I just feel like we're a product of our environment and our programming. They've just been programmed differently. (laughs) You know, they were programmed at a different time. And so I don't fault them for that. I'm not mad at it. I don't, you know, it's just what is what it is. Um, but I have had to operate differently working with, you know, trying to buy properties from these brokers and owners and how to handle them because of how they treat me, which, you know, fair or unfair, I don't care. It's again, I just see it for how it is. Can you give an example or two of that? If you don't mind, I don't mean to to interrupt. Oh yeah. So, um, well, the first commercial property I bought, like I said, was my office building. And, um, the guy that I bought it from was a, uh, retiring, uh, old white man attorney. And he called his wife, a secretary, like didn't even introduce her. Mm. That's his wife. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, and when I did the walkthrough, he wouldn't look me in the eye. He wouldn't answer my qu- direct questions. He would dismiss me when I would ask about things that were obvious, like the roof leaking and things like that with, you know, there's a, a giant, you know, watermark on the roof. It's obvious the roof is leaking and he'd just be like, Oh honey, you know, whatever. So, so I ended up bringing literally like a homeless guy with me to the walkthrough just to have a dude there and have, and I would ask the questions and he would answer him. And my business banker was a man. Um, and when I went to closing, he wouldn't, I was sitting directly across from him and he wouldn't even look at me. He was talking to my business banker who was, who was next to me. Hmm. And I actually started Babs development at that time, because I did buy, I I ended up getting the property under contract. I used, if you've seen the Barbie movie, you know how Barbie land, how they get it back from Kendom. That's exactly how I negotiated that deal. I was just kind of like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, like, oh, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. Will you help me? Oh, I'm so confused. I mean, literally, that's how I did that deal. And I started Babs Development because it stands for Badass Bitches, by the way, because I just wanted to see him sign paperwork with Babs on there. I mean, it was so petty, but it's just the truth. (laughs) And that was after I had three other commercial brokers tell me I couldn't find what I wanted. I couldn't get what I wanted for the price that I wanted. They dismissed me and called me sweetie and honey and everything else. And I was just like, you know what? I'm doing this on my own. Like, obviously, this isn't working out. So this was that was eight years ago. Um, 
And still to this day, I mean, depending on who I'm dealing with, I have to operate the sure. same way. Like I've had my assistant on the phone with me while I'm negotiating. Actually, the deal I bought in Ocala, she was on the phone with me uh, and this guy was being so condescending. Well, if you knew about that. And I was just like, oh, really? Okay, teach me. Will you help me? <laughs> you know, and she's like, I can't believe that you didn't just like go off on that guy. Like, why didn't you just... Sure. You know, how could you let him treat you like that? And I was like, girl, what would that do? Like, how is that going to help me get this deal? At the end of the day, I want the deal. <laughs> and so acting in a way that A, they expect, and B, makes me look like a B, is not going to get me the deal. If I want a good deal, I have to play into sure. their mindset, not my mindset, but their mindset. And that's just how it is. Like, I don't. Again, I don't like see it as bad or good. I just see it for what it is. And, um, you know, I just recently got a property under contract that it was a brother and sister and dealing with the brother. I was like, man, I would have got a much better deal if I dealt with the brother, but the sister was hardcore. <laughs> um, so, you know, but it was also really refreshing dealing with sure. her. She was, you know, inspiring. She's, you know, 74 years old. Right. So, oh, cool. Um, so it, I don't remember if I answered your question or not. No, you, no, you did. And, and, and I, I want to leave, leave listeners with this. I mean, I, I think it's just really uh, educating for me because uh, unfortunately I know nothing about being a female. Um, but well, I appreciate you acknowledging that. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, you know, it's just of a nature of my environment too. Um, and that's why I'm just so, so, so eager to ask you. So, you know, these aren't even all the questions, but maybe we'll come back to it another time. I just, for those that have committed uh, to uh, this craft, to this industry, to this way of life that you have to deal with the unexpected and the adversity and being demeaned um, by men and women alike. Um, what what advice do you have to those that are already committed to continue to to thrive and persevere as, as you do? I'm interested for you to leave us with, with that. Well, I think that's the number one thing. I think it's being committed. I think a lot of people though, don't understand what commitment means. I mean, I think a lot of people say they're committed, but their actions don't uh, correspond with that. So sure. if you are truly committed, then commitment is, you know, there is no maybe it's yes or no. There is no try it's do or do not. And, um, and that's what you have to, when you're going through adversity, you have to see, am I still committed to this vision that I have? Am I still committed to this mission? Because if you're not, you are going to get creamed. And there is, like I said, there is no being wishy-washy. It is, you either do or do not. Like even with that property in Dillon, there were plenty of times I wanted to quit. And a lot of people tell me I would have quit. I would not have kept going. And what kept me going is that I was so committed to the end result. I was so committed to these women. I was so committed to this community. And it didn't matter when you're committed. It doesn't matter what you have to go through. You will do anything. And that's really the test of your commitment. And also when you make a commitment, you're immediately tested it, because the universe wants to see if you are really committed. So it's going to test you immediately. You say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to get in shape or I want to do whatever. You're immediately going to be tested. Are you really, are you really going to do this? Like, because again, it's do or do not. It's you're either doing the deed every day or the deal every day. Um, or the tasks that you need to accomplish every day, or you're not. And so that's really the main thing is actually be committed. If you are committed, you've got to hmm. 
100% not waver on that decision. Well, I, I don't know if I could, we could find a better way to end with some phenomenal advice but that's not only motivational but inspirational. And you've been uh, nothing but exactly that throughout uh, all of the journey that I've seen you. And I know the continued journey of success that you're going to continue to be on and change in the world, uh, one property, one unit at a time. And uh, just thank you so much for just sharing yourself, being so vulnerable about it as well, but also being so committed to it throughout. Um, and so just appreciate you, Christy, and just... Uh, uh, I've learned a lot here in this episode, and I know everybody else listening in has too. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of the Real Estate of Things. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks again to our guest, Christy Moore. Man, I cannot say thank you enough for everything that you just dropped and all the lessons that I learned and I know our listeners as well. As you listen, make sure you subscribe on your favorite platform as we continue to drop fresh episodes on Tuesdays and check all things out on our website for the Real Estate of Things podcast at www.realestateofthings.co. More to come next time. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.